0: Welcome to the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. We're your hosts, Suzanne Kearns
1: and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses from your professional life to your emotional health.
0: You're a mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. Welcome to the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. I'm Suzanne Kearns, mom and dot, dot, dot writer, LGBTQ and sex ed advocate, and today Married 20 years. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Very exciting.
1: It is. And I'm Missy Stevens, mom and dot 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 writer, foster child
0: advocate. And today, woman on a mission to break some unhealthy patterns. We'll talk about it in the look, listen, learn. Ooh, interesting. And today, we are so thrilled to be joined by Dr. Catherine Perlman. Catherine is the founder of the family coach and licensed clinical social worker who has been working with children and families for more than 25 years. She holds a Ph.D. in social welfare from Yeshiva University and a master's in social work from New York University. Catherine is also the author of Ignore It, How Selectively Looking the Other Way Can Decrease Behavioral Problems and Increase Parenting Satisfaction, and a new book, which we'll be focusing on today, called First Phone, so you can see it here behind me here, (laughs) Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. Her writing has appeared in CNN, Los Angeles Times, Sports Illustrated, The Wall Street Journal, U.S. News and World Report, Grown and Flown, Your Teen Magazine, and on many, many parenting websites around the world. Catherine lives in California with her sports writing husband, Jeff, and their two kids and puppy, Poppy. (laughs) That's that's fun to say. (laughs) Welcome.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: We're
1: so, so glad you're here. We got the chance to hang out with Catherine. Uh, Was that in April? When did we go to mom too? too long ago? Yeah, I don't know when that was. (laughs) It feels like a lifetime ago. But it's so it's so good just to see you again. And we talked a little bit about your bio, but there's so much beyond that in your ellipses, your mom and dot dot dot. So can you give our listeners an intro to where your career started and how it's progressed? And if there's anything along the way that's majorly impacted where you are now?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I started out working in social work agencies like a shelter and the foster care system, always working with young people and their families. And I also did home visits to prevent child abuse. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older, I got married, I had kids, and I saw that people, everyday people not people at risk of abusing their children needed help with everyday parenting stuff. You know, just Things that bring us down as parents, like picky eating or kids not using the potty, things that are solvable problems, you know, everybody was really struggling with. So I decided to leave my job and open a private practice called The Family Coach. And at that time, I had two kids and, you know, working 40 plus hours out of the house in a crisis environment was just not sustainable with how I wanted to also raise my kids. So opening a private practice and going back to school for my PhD seems like the way to go. So I tried to build my practice. How do you get clients? I saw like people putting ads in the newspaper and it cost like $250 for like a business card size ad. I'm like, "Mm, I can't do this. So, (laughs) but then as I'm flipping through like the local parent guides, I'm seeing, well, all these people are writing articles. And at the end, it's like in their bio, it tells their their business, their Mm -hmm. website, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. So So I started basically writing about parenting to get clients, which worked. But it turns out I really like writing. (laughs) So (laughs) um, Over the years, I've been writing more and more. I ended up, um, after I got my PhD, becoming a full-time professor because my husband is also a writer and somebody needs insurance. (laughs) So um, I did that for about 12 years and also writing, also doing my practice also raising my kids. And it just felt like I needed a break. I needed a change. Like I can't do everything anymore. So I am officially not a professor as of this month. And I am focusing full-time on my practice and my writing. And I would say the number one thing that's really guided my career has been wanting to spend time with my kids Mm -hmm. and to have a job that allowed me to also be a stay-at-home mom, but also working. (laughs) So I probably am a glutton for punishment, but, um, (laughs) you know, every job was a choice so that I could be home with my kids.
0: I love that. And I mean, Yep. And I mean, talk about not being your, you know, quote unquote, stereotypical stay at home mom. You've accomplished a lot. I'd love to dive in a little bit to what that looks like to go back to school. I think we have a lot of listeners yeah. who probably do either because they want to take their career to the next level or because maybe during time at home, they've decided they want to do something completely different. How old were your kids during that time? What did that look like? I know that when my husband went back for his EMBA, it was something where it was like evenings and weekends so that it could be more flexible for, that was for being flexible for a career. It also happened to be flexible for family. So did yours look something like that? Or what, what kind of accommodations or coverage did you need for childcare? That type of thing.
2: So I decided to go back to school and my kids were one and four which was crazy, but (laughs) I had been wanting to go for a long time and it was never a good time. And I just decided there wasn't going to be a good time. And now that I've gone, you know, uh, 15 years or so since I know for sure there was never going to be a better time. It's always going to be really hard. (laughs) So I just did it. I went to school at night. So a lot of PhD programs are, you know, working adults. So I went to school two nights a week, four to eight. And then the next day, six to 10, I never drank coffee in my life. At this point, I must be like 36 or something years old. I was like, something is going to have to give, I'm, I'm coffee is going to be my new life. Um, <laughs> and also I go about like what was happening in my home in terms of what the quality of dinner was. Like we lived on rotisserie chicken and hot dogs. We did have two days a week of childcare who was an absolute saint lifesaver. I cried the day we had to let her go. Mm. Um, So that's what it was. And then my my husband works full time, but he works from home. So we were able to kind of juggle and I would write my papers and my dissertation from 9 p.m. till three in the morning.
0: Oh my
2: God. Yep. And then I would sleep late and he would get up that morning with the kids and then I would take a couple of days off and then I would do the same thing. That was the only time I could really focus and get the job done.
0: Yep. Wow. I just,
1: there's so many lessons in there, like just the commitment you had, but also taking a look at your life and saying, well, these, some of these things have to go and that's mm-hmm. okay. Because yeah. I think as moms, we put so much pressure on ourselves to like, well, I have to have the fully balanced meal and my house should be clean and my kids should be presentable. <laughs> you know, like yeah. maybe they have mismatched socks and maybe they eat a lot of rotisserie chicken and there are way worse things in the world.
0: Yeah. Definitely, especially again, since you said your focus was being able to spend time with them. It wasn't being able to spend time in a perfectly clean house, it was to be able to spend time with them. And yeah, that on the focus. Oh, my goodness. (sighs) Oh, I just I, am inspired. I know, I, I'm inspired, and also I feel a little lazy. I feel real lazy. <laughs> real lazy. I'm like, I can't get a job. I have kids who are like 16. I mean, they hey, mean they're me. driving themselves, and it no, still feels it, it's still It's a kick in the pants. It's another reminder that there's so <laughs> there's so many possibilities out there for things that we can do in our ellipses. And yeah, loved your first book, but super, super, super excited about the first phone book as well. Um, My kids are 16 and she'll be 17 tomorrow. Is that right? Two days? (laughs) Um, And 12. And, you know, I I wish that we would have had this years and years and years ago. First of all, deciding, there's the big question of, should I get a phone? Should they not get a phone? So there's that. Mm -hmm. And then once they do have a phone, like, do I put all the protective things on there? Do I let them learn through some mistakes? So like, I'm sure that, as a mom, you learned a lot <laughs> while writing it. You probably had some good practices yeah. in place just from the family coach. But uh, you know, what were some of the biggest things that you learned writing it, and where where did that inspiration come from in the first place?
2: So I kept thinking about why this book was necessary during a pandemic. So, you know, it was perfectly aligned. and I had a lot of thoughts leading up to the pandemic, but it kind of all came together during that time. so, even what I had been finding, I'm sure this is true for both of you and people, you know, even like the most conscientious parents who are really involved, really knowledgeable about what's going on with tech, find that their kid accessed porn, find that their kid was sexted or did the sexting, um, Mm -hmm. find their kid fell for a scam. You know, even parents who are highly involved, this is happening too. So I kept kind of thinking that, something has to change. Like we're not actually educating our kids. We're trying to protect them. We're trying to avoid, but it's actually Mm. impossible. You know, it used to be, if there was a shooting at a school, you could think, do I tell my kid? Do I not tell my kid? How do I talk about it? By the time they get home from school, they've already known. Like your kid already knows, even in elementary school, what has happened, kids have access. So I was thinking how it's impossible to completely shield and protect your kids. So we have to do a different way of addressing it. Like we do sex ed. We need to start thinking about digital education like we do about sex ed. Then the pandemic hit. And, you know, as parents, we were trying to be pretty good about our kids' screen time prior to that, you know, an hour or two, depending on your kid's age of screen time. We were trying our best to limit the days, hours, you know, doing our best. And the pandemic hit. I looked at my son, who I guess was like 13 at the time. He was on all day for school. Then he was on for a few hours to socialize with his friends because That was needed. And then he was on for another few hours to do his homework. So he literally sat in front of his screen. He never used social media before the pandemic. All of a sudden he's on Discord with his friend. That's the only way they can communicate. So it's like all these things sort of came together where I thought, okay, we need a book that's just for kids. And of course I did a look to see what's around. And there's almost nothing. There's one book and it's just for girls, which I don't like. And so I thought, okay, we need a book for all kids to learn from a very early age, all the things they need to know that I know that they're encountering. And of course, by that time I had a 13 and a 16 year old, both headphones and I had learned many lessons, um, (laughs) over that time personally, and then also professionally from hearing from so many parents. So I kind of was able to put those things together.
1: Yeah. I have been in that position where I thought I was on top of things and realized that my child just, he was Young at this point, and a friend at school had said, "Hey, you gotta Google, you gotta Google Miss America boobs." (laughs) So he came home and did misspelled boobs, which is one of our favorite stories ever because he's an excellent speller. (laughs) And how um, did he spell it? (laughs) I don't even want to say. I just feel like it's a story to tell. (laughs) um, He is such a good speller and he just, (laughs) but he, he did. And when he did that, seems like a pretty innocent search of all the things you could do. Well, some really not innocent stuff came up Yeah, and he was scared. Actually he was young enough that he was like, I saw this. And I, I mean, he told us and was in tears. And well, of course my husband and I were sick to our stomachs because we thought we had things locked down and we never thought about Googling this America boobs. (laughs) Didn't know what was going to pop up you know it's just eye opening what they have access to and i love what you say about teaching them about digital responsibility because all of that onus cannot fall on the parents we can't possibly lock things down enough and what good does that do them if we've locked it all down when right. one day they're in the world and it's unlocked they don't know how to handle it yeah so i really love what you say about teaching them responsibility It's important. Definitely. And so
0: were you surprised by some of the stuff that you learned that you thought that you already were a pro in this and that there was new stuff that you learned?
2: Actually, one thing I learned at the conference when I was with the two of you, um, the whistleblower from Facebook was talking so much about the research. I had no one about the research about how kids and depression, anxiety are sort of raising at the exact same time that people are getting cell phones. And I was sort of in touch with that. But what I wasn't in touch with, how much these social media companies are working so hard to keep us engaged. And I had not thought about the fact that, you know, if you put up a reel or a video with a Beatles song, that thing is down in two seconds. You don't have, you know, rights to use a Beatles song or whatever, right? Right. But, you know, kids talking about what they ate and how thin they are and all kinds of crazy trends that, you know, eating things like a Cinnamon or Tide Pot, these things stay up for, you know, in perpetuity, no problem. Right. And just so the, sort of the culpability of these companies and what really made me think about when I talked to parents, it's like, you know what? It's not you. There is no amount of oversight of education or anything that's going to help your child avoid the pull to be in these things. But knowing that they're made that way can actually help you see what they're doing now. It's almost like, it's like you're behind yeah. the curtain. You're like, oh, Uh I see what you're doing. You just sent me a notification. I'm not clicking on that because that's exactly what you want me to do. So I think, you know, that was very eye-opening for for me. And I think it kind of shifted the way I think we need to talk to parents about how we address social media and how we talk to kids about, you know, this whole thing about showing you likes and shares and Mm -hmm. the reason you feel bad that you get no shares, that was intentional. You know, that was so you could post more provocative things and, Uh you know, get more likes and shares. You know, this is all intentional. So when you kind of see behind the curtain, I think it changes the need to do those things.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we put as much effort in fighting the corporations and the businesses that are making business decisions around those incremental minutes that they can get kids to basically trick them to staying online, if we spent... As much time worrying about that as we do worry about what our kids are watching, I mean, I think we could make a real difference. There, It is important to know that there is that going on behind the curtain. And I don't know, I feel like we have a lot of power that we are not yes. actually using. And it seems yeah. to be by design that they're making us feel powerless and feel guilty instead of empowered to tell them that this isn't right and this isn't okay.
1: She was saying at the conference that it puts so much responsibility on parents and it makes parents think it's you, it's your fault. This is happening rather than saying we as a company have the power to take care of this. And so we, we do need to take that power back and say, we know what you can do. We know what you're not doing and you can help us.
2: Yeah. The thing that's so tricky about it is, you know, if you think back to when we were kids, it was about what was commercialized for kids, like actual newspaper magazine ads and what were the commercials you would see during the cartoons. That is very, Mm -hmm. you're able to regulate that. You know, you're not allowed to have cigarette commercials during morning cartoons and things like that. But now there are so many avenues for kids to be exposed. And there's so many types of social media. There's so many types of apps. And so it's very hard to say, okay, well, we get Facebook and Instagram to worry about this, but what about discord? What about TikTok? What about whatever's next? Mm
0: -hmm. So I think
2: that's part of the problem. So my new focus is really like, this is a problem that's not going away. So how can we combat it with education and like learning Mm -hmm. and understanding? Like I talk in the book about influencers and I don't think kids, especially young kids understand these are ads. These are complete ads. Like you would see a commercial on TV And they're like kind of wise about commercials on TV. They like, I hear my son like watching like, you know, some ad for some prescription he's like laughing and he's seeing, you know, he gets it Mm -hmm. not on social media, not if Mm -hmm. it's an influencer, not if it's someone they follow, you know, it's very difficult to spot. So I think we have to constantly talk to our kids about, you know, what's the latest thing and educate like weekly, you know, not just like, here's your phone. And like, here's a book and like, good luck to you kid. Like it has to be ongoing. Yes. And I think we probably,
1: you touched on this just now, need to change some of our own behavior. I am influenced by people that I follow, and I have to actually take the time to go, were they paid to promote this product? Are they trying to get this product to to sponsor them? What is it? Because I'm easily influenced when I see someone put on a pretty lipstick, I want to buy the pretty lipstick, and I am a grown ass lady. So I think a lot of our listeners are probably in that position where we also need some education around digital responsibility and phone etiquette what are some things we can do to stop or what are some things we are doing that's modeling bad behavior that we need to maybe look at and change
2: yeah so i think parents want to do as i say now that I do approach with cell phones we are equally sucked in as parents we also like likes we also get notifications we also scroll endlessly looking for some sort of endorphin hit on social media. So I try and give ourselves a little bit of a break and a little bit of empathy that this is hard for all people um, to deal with. But then the, the major issues that I think parents are modeling, not such great behavior for their kids. Uh, one is sleeping with your phone. This is like my biggest takeaway. If parents can not sleep with their phones and make that at like a household rule, nobody sleeps with their phones. I think Mm. that can make a huge dent in kids exposure and risky behavior in the nighttime and anxiety and depression. Like getting a good night's sleep is like one of the most important things for kids. And they're not because they're sleeping with their phones. So I think parents can do a much better job about modeling that. I think parents generally are not modeling digital consent. So they post their kids and they don't ask them, are you okay with this? And I think about many influencers who you can start to see they have more and more kids because they need younger kids because the older kids are like, stop posting me. Like, I'm not gonna smile. I'm not gonna, you know, teenagers do not want to be on their parents' social media, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And so if we expect our kids to say, hey, is it okay if I I post this picture? We need to start asking our kids, hey, is it okay if I post this picture? And if it's a no, it's a no. Even if everyone else from the party is posting those pictures, like you cannot. So I think asking for digital consent and, I think we text a lot when our kids are talking to us, you know, or we're scrolling a lot because sometimes they're boring. (laughs) Um, sometimes we're just like, we need to check out just a quick text, you know, but like we get upset when our kids do that to us, you know, like that is no, no. So, uh, yeah, I think if we can cut that down or at least have phone free times, like meal times or hour before bed or just Sunday morning, I don't even care. But just find some time where everybody, parents included, puts their phone down. It makes it a lot easier. Everyone stays accountable and we can give our focus to our kids. But, you know, like I'm not pointing fingers. Everything I've just said, I do accept sleep with my phone. Although even that I do sometimes if I need a podcast at night. So, you know, right, we're all foul. Right. I know that that's was my guilty slope thing for me. Yeah. I listen because to Because we books. never
1: slept with our phones. But then sometimes it's a podcast or a book. Like, you know, I'm listening to an audio book. That I don't hear at all because I fall asleep the minute it starts to play. (laughs) So really I should just stick to my sleep stories on my clock and not do that. But yeah, it's a slippery slope and I can see how like my oldest child, we don't, we never slept with our phones in our room and our youngest does not, but my oldest stays up so much later than we do now. And so he was plugging it in, in a central hub, but I think it sleeps in his room sometimes because he falls asleep before he has
2: to plug it in. So Mm
0: -hmm.
2: lax parenting happening. But the thing I want to say is it's never too late to make a change. So I think a lot of times for whatever reason, pandemic was a great reason, but sometimes there's an illness. Sometimes there's a lot of stress, sometimes whatever, there's a mood, things can get relaxed and we Mm -hmm. can be, get to a place where I hear all the time. Yeah, I wish I had done that, but now it's too late. No, it's not too late. If a parent decides that a non-negotiable and you follow through with it just for like three days, a lot of complaining and whining happens, you can ignore it. And then what happens is it's just accepted. So it's like, yeah, we are all sleeping Mm -hmm. with our phones, but now I've learned that's not a great thing. So starting Monday, that's a no, no, we're not doing that anymore. And then get through the the few days of arguing and it's over, you know, so you can make a change, even if things have slipped, it's okay.
0: Yeah. And, you know, even if you have like all the safety things in place, we talk a lot about time management and moms trying to make the most of their ellipses or make their ellipses count after mom and dot, dot, dot. But Even if all the safety things are in place and your kids are doing all the right things and you're doing all the right things, there's still just this overuse and how phones are able to interfere with just spending quality time, like you were saying, texting when your kid's talking to you. Well, that may may not be quality time. But (laughs) when you are doing something that is quality time or a higher value activity, if you've got 30 minutes between meetings, it's a lot easier just to scroll through Facebook than to go learn about a class that might be interesting for you or to do some research or go read a book. So what are are the best practices around the time management?
2: So one section I had in the book was about screen time. And I was, okay. well, let's go see how much my screen time is, you know, and and I I want to put a screenshot of my phone in the book. And i was horrified by the amount of weekly time i'm spending on instagram and facebook just those two doing mm-hmm. absolutely nothing you know just, just like wasting this. my time hours and hours and hours and hours and i was really upset so i put it in the book the um the time is there but they took out the graphic but it made me really think okay a lot of times we we don't quantify how much time we're spending on this so i set a timer on my phone. I'm only allowed an hour a day combined of those two apps. That's still plenty of time. That's not a thing. (laughs) And I have a computer, so I can still get on if I want to, but it's just actually, it shuts down and it's so early in the day it shuts down. I'm amazed. And then I'm reminded, okay, you did not want to spend more than an hour a day, go do something else. So I think there are all these things that are available to us on our phones to limit time on certain apps or to have times of the day where we don't allow apps. So it's like maybe when our kids are with us from like four to seven, we really want to be present for them. So we have a focus, we put focus on, you know, so it's, we don't get any notifications and we can't use any apps. So there are all these tricks that are now in place that a lot of times we don't even know about. So I really recommend that for parents and kids. And the number one thing is to like limit notifications because it's, it's like Pavlov's dogs. It's human nature. Like if you hear a ding you want to look at your phone and I say see. like oh what was that you know what happened and whatever it is it seems like interesting and important and it like gets us out of what we're doing and then it's so much harder to fo- get back into what we're doing so like once we get out of it all of a sudden sure. it's like a half hour later i'm like oh my gosh i don't even know what i was trying to google or what i was looking up at that moment and mm-hmm. it's like what am i doing so i think if we can limit those notifications that's helpful and last thing is apple watches sounds like a great invention, but when you're trying to talk to someone and they're like this, always looking, you know, it's very off-putting. And I think, again, it's human nature. It's not like now that that the notifications in your pocket, it's like literally in front of your face <laughs> yes. and all the time. Yes. So I'm not a fan of of Apple Watches for kids or for parents for that reason. I just think it's too impossible not to get involved.
0: Yeah. You know, it wasn't until like a week or so ago, my husband's like, you know, you can like see when I text you, right? Because I would respond to a text like three hours later. I'm like, well, I don't always have my phone with you. He's like, you get them on your watch. I was like, no, I don't. Like, I didn't even know that was a feature. Somehow it wasn't turned on. And I like it not being turned on for that very reason. Unless like there's some ultra urgent, like my kids walking home in the dark and I wanna make sure that I'm available for them kind of thing. But no, for most times, no, don't really. No,
1: I've never had an Apple watch, but I have had like a, I guess it was a Fitbit where I couldn't respond or anything on my phone, but I could see when text popped up and I found it super, super distracting. Yeah. And so I turned that off.
0: I highly recommend turning that off because it's, yeah, you don't, you don't need to know. Oh my God. I made the mistake because we had a, we had a prowler in the neighborhood. So I turned on the alerts for um, our home security. Right. No, so now, uh, and I keep forgetting to turn it off. So anytime the dog goes in the backyard, it's like, there is an intruder in the backyard. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> a stupid no. dog.
2: But no. that's actually like an interesting thing because I know people have news that pops up. They're like, oh, it's news. It's important. No. It's always bad news. It always yeah. affects us. And it takes you out of whatever the conversation is. So it's like, you're t- having a great conversation. And you're like, oh my gosh, there was a school shooting. It's like, our conversation is done. Something Done. I can do about that school shooting right now. And, it's, you know, whatever the news is, you know, there's mm-hmm. something terrible happening. It's always terrible. Um, yes. They're never notifying you that, like, congratulations, like your entire town <laughs> won a million dollars. Like, yes. it's not that. Right. Um, you know, it's never
1: good news. Never.
2: Never good news. And that's part of the reason I don't like when people sleep next to their phone. Because then again, the first thing in the morning, it's actually your, like, emotions are already charged before you even get out of bed. And these, like, notifications, sometimes we think they're innocuous, like the ring on your, the, um, Mm -hmm. whatever the camera is on your house. It's like, oh, someone dropped off a package. Like, that is not information we need to know right now, but it is distracting us from the person in front of us. And, you know, it's just, I think we're all in these bad habits. I am pointing fingers at nobody. We all do it, but I think we all need to say, like, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. Do you think, and I hate
1: to blame the pandemic. I feel like I blame everything on COVID and some, but do you think that a lot of this got worse or changed in this two and a half year period we're in? I just, personally, I feel like our household changed a lot and and undoing that is going to take some effort. And I, is that universal or is that just my household?
2: (laughs) No, I think it's pretty universal. I think the pandemic was brutal, even under the best circumstances. Like Mm -hmm. even if you had a job and income coming in, even if you stayed safe, even if you didn't lose your heart, like, even if everything worked out perfectly for you, it was Mm -hmm. awful. Um, And so we got into a lot of survival habits that include a lot of time on our technology. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't fault anybody for that. Like we had to survive, but now we are starting to come out of it. And that's like, why I say like, it is never too late to make a change. Like, if as a family, you're rec- or as a person, you're recognizing like, I'm in a place I don't really like, obsess and then make a change. Like pick a date on the calendar. This is what's going to happen and then do it. Because I think we've all slipped on so many ways and it's going to take a decade. It's going to take maybe the rest of our lives to undo some of what happened during the pandemic. And I don't think I'm, um, I mean, I am prone to hyperbole, but like, I really don't <laughs> think in that case I'm being um, that way. I just think there are so many side effects to what we went through.
1: That time. it makes me long cry. Yeah, I know.
2: it's it's
1: both comforting and overwhelming, and I think that's why I feel a little bit like crying because yeah, we we are going to take a decade to come out of this.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So now you were talking a bit about, or we've talking a lot about how information that we get from our phones or through technology and protecting our kids from that living in Texas as a woman, I'm also feeling that there is data going the other way or information going the other way. And I'm wondering, I I guess this applies to kids as well, because I mean, we're looking at this for our daughter. There's a lot of stuff about take the period trackers off of your phones. My husband is encouraging me for many reasons to take Facebook off my phone. He's like, you're a member and you're a leader of many groups that people find polarizing and if Facebook is giving people your location, that can be really dangerous. So what what are the things that we are, the information we are giving versus just the information we're getting that could p- potentially be dangerous from our
2: phones? So, you know, we talk about trying to limit our data footprint, you know, like what's what's out there about us. But honestly, just Amazon and Google, even if there's like nothing else, knows <clears throat> literally everything about me and my family everything there is to know. And those are things that I can't do without, you know, completely. Mm-hmm. So I think on some level, we have to relax a little bit about our data. Like it is not something we can completely control. At the same token, I do think there are certain steps where we can be mindful about extra information that we're giving out mindlessly. So one thing is locations. Our location does not need to be on on our apps, on our devices. You can have it when you're using an app, but not, you know, there are settings that you can have like, use my location when I'm near a Starbucks, but, you know, off when I'm not open, like when I don't have the app open or whatever. There's different ways mm-hmm. of doing it. Like kids on Snapchat have their locations. That makes me crazy. So they all know where everybody is all the time. That is, and you forget that you have it on. So the next thing you know, you're at a clinic and everyone's like, oh my gosh. Someone, you know, But you don't remember that your Snapchat location is on, you know? Mm-hmm. So locations are, should be off for almost everything unless it's important and you're using an app. And also quizzes. Kids are doing so many fun quizzes online. If it's free, you are the product. And Mm. these kids are giving out so much information that they think is silly. That's, you know, no big deal. It's not no big deal. It seems like 10 no big deal questions. And then there's one question there that's actually important. You have no idea what they're doing with that data. Same thing with those challenges, like 20-year face challenges or photo challenges where you use an app and it ages you or it does this or it does that. Uh huh. No, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, so all of these things that are just a lot of fun for kids and adults have a dark side. And that is data information about you that can be used elsewhere. So I do think we need to be more mindful and I'm in California and here, every time you use a website, they have to ask you if you're okay with the cookies. And I take two seconds every time and say, no, you can only do the ones that are like absolutely required to use the website. Mm-hmm. And they're not allowed to sell my data. So that's something, you know, if you're in a state where that's not a thing, advocating is a great idea because I feel like I'm so much more in control of my information by what I'm, you know, looking up and so on.
1: So oh, important. I was just taking notes while you were talking frantically, <laughs> Yeah, because I know that I know that about quizzes. And I love what you say about if it's free, you're the product like that yes they're getting you and i know that i joked just recently when we talked to wendy aarons about i used to take the what kind of tv mom are you quizzes over and over again until i got tammy taylor um <laughs> you know i the quiz because i wanted to be tammy taylor but you know i know that i know that i've told my kids that but it's so so enticing yes
0: yeah. oh my gosh yeah it's scary with the stuff we have out there oh my gosh i could really talk about this for hours and hours, but before we get to the look, listen, learns, I want to make sure, first of all, people know where to find you in the book. And I also want to share a little bit, just in case everybody wants to build out their full Catherine Perlman library, a little bit about Ignore It. Can you share just a little
2: overview of that book as well for anybody who might be interested? Yeah. So Ignore It kind of came out of 10 years of working with families in the home and, you know, you start to see the same kind of problems that we're all dealing Mm -hmm. with. And one of the major things that brings parents to like their knees of misery is annoying behaviors from their kids. So like whining, tantruming, complaining, negotiating. These are all things that we don't have to live with and but we've somehow inadvertently like reinforced with our kids. So ignore it basically just teaches parents how to identify behavior that we're reinforcing. So if you reinforce it, you're likely to get it more often. So if you negotiate with a kid, they're like, oh, that was very successful. I should do it more often. Mm -hmm. So it teaches parents to identify behaviors that they are reinforcing that are undesirable and to focus on reinforcing the things they want to see more often and ignoring some of the things that are attention seeking and undesirable behaviors that we rewarded because we're tired and parenting is hard and, you know, we're just trying to get through. Um, And I talk a lot about like natural consequences and setting reasonable expectations. It just kind of was like everything I told parents on a visit, I put into the book. Mm, I I have not read
1: it. I'm going to get it. (laughs) (laughs) My kids are big, but I just feel
2: like you can't ever learn too much about that. No, it actually (laughs) is so great for teens who are just amazing at pushing our buttons and getting us to engage in things. And then if they can't get what they want, at least if they can get us angry, they done satisfied. Well, that's a reward for them. So I think it's great for older kids as well as like young kids. Yeah,
0: it's a definitely a must read. And now for me, it's going to be a must reread because it's one of those things that you like when when you read it the first time, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to forget this. This is so important. And then like a week later, you're doing the bad thing again. So, yeah, it is. Well, and your that kids' phases re-read. change,
1: you know, like maybe it was that they never wanted to eat a green bean and you were fighting over it at dinner or whatever. But now as teenagers, it's different stuff. And even with like, you have excellent kids, Suzanne, I feel like my kids are excellent kids, but that doesn't mean they're not going to push buttons and try to push boundaries and it's just different. So it's helpful for you to reread it, for me to read it for the first time. Yeah.
2: I'll just tell you, I I wrote the book and my son read the book and he would hear me like arguing with my (laughs) older daughter about something after I said no. And he's like, mom, ignore it. And I'm like, (laughs) "He's right. I'm done. And I walk away. That's it. So it's like yeah. I, this is my own book, and I still sometimes don't remember. So it's, it's okay. We it's all have a reminder, yeah. isn't
0: it amazing? Well, for it's amazing what they do pick up if you do teach them along the way, and mm-hmm. that you know they can just see through us a million miles away. But oh. you were talking earlier about you—it know, uh, was uh, taking pictures of your kids and th- that consent about photos. I—I I was so impressed uh, this week while we were on vacation. My daughter had a couple of pictures and we know, she knows I don't post pictures of my son's face online, never have. I'm the worst mommy blogger in the world. It wasn't until she turned 16 and she had a book come out that I finally allowed a picture of her to be anywhere on my social media. And I still don't share it except for literally, I think maybe that one picture, except for my secret friends and family, Instagram. But it was so interesting. She's like, hey, uh, this this has a part of you like literally even if it has a part of your body she asked my husband because like his leg and half his butt was in the photo like is it okay and that it had a little bit of my son like the back of his head or whatever so even when it's not like full frontal just like that is your personhood and you have the right to be able Mm -hmm. to say that you don't want that online for people to see so they do remember it sticks with them and it started god i think my daughter was probably about Seven years old, and that was when I had a picture of her on Facebook, and she's like, "I didn't say you could put that on there." Like, how did that picture of me get on the computer? And she was really freaked out. And I mean, yeah. since that day, I was like, "You're right that that is that happened to us with the Easter bunny picture." And like, yes,
1: they were like, you know, it was cute. We're at brunch. There's an Easter bunny, and my oldest was mortified. And I thought, oh, like I would I would be so mad if someone posted a picture of me without yeah. my consent. He's a person too.
2: And it's hard because well, so they're so inter- dang cute. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because when they're little, it's not that big of a deal. They're cute. And they, they might not mind at that time. But when they're teenagers and they're, you know, in science class, wasting time, and they Google each other, and then some embarrassing picture comes up from when they were seven that we think is adorable. And the kid is 17. He's like, that is not funny. Like, take that down. Yeah, and I don't yeah. want employers and my friends seeing this stuff. So it's like, it's not just now. It's it's really later, even that when they decide, I don't want that, you you know, we have to acknowledge that. And also what a great way to introduce the idea of consent and and that in a a sort almost a non-threatening way so that they can get to the idea of, oh, I have to ask you consent for something like as if I'm touching your body, I have to ask you consent. And they're already comfortable with this concept. So I think it's really important and it carries over into so many different areas of consent.
0: Ah. Oh, love it. Love it. Okay. Recommend both but where can people find well the first phone book is out July twenty sixth. (laughs) <laughs> Yay. but then ignore it's out and uh, can get that while you wait for your first phone book yes. to arrive <laughs> it can be your primer where's the best place to find more information about your coaching services as
2: well um, so yeah they can find me at thefamilycoach.com and I do have a resources section of downloads for both books and just on uh, Facebook and Twitter at the family coach and the family coach says on Instagram pretty
0: awesome. much the family coach,
2: <laughs> the family
0: coach. Yeah. love it okay well then i think with that it is time for our look listen learns when we each share a little something we've been watching reading or listening hopefully not too much of it on our phone <laughs> 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 so that our listeners can add something to their must-read reader must listen to list since we don't like to put the guest in the hot seat first so missy why don't you kick things off sure so i just finished reading everything must go by camille pagan
1: And I love Camille. I talk about her like she's a friend just because we've communicated (laughs) on social media like twice. Um, (laughs) But I love her books. And I go through little phases where I have like a Camille fest and read two or three at a time. And so Everything Must Go is her latest, I believe, um, story of a woman kind of in transition, which I, we love that. That's very mom. And, but mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out what she's going to do with this next step of her life and having to sort of undo some things and there's family drama and it's a good one. So highly recommend Camille. All of her books are, a, they're all a lot of fun, but they also have characters who are richly drawn and have more than one layer to them. And I really appreciate that.
0: Oh, great. Uh, I need new
1: books. So, and I listened to it. Actually, I said, I just finished reading. I listened to it. Um, I like to listen to hers and read them. You know, some books aren't good listeners. Hers are both. So if you're looking to listen and or physically hold a book, I recommend her books. And we just finished, Mark and I just finished watching Julia on HBO. Have either of you watched that yet? No. No. It's so good. (laughs) Like speechless talking about it. Um, So David Hyde Pierce is in it and B.B. Neuwirth. And I do not know the actress who plays Julia.
0: Julia, is this Julia Child?
1: Julia Child. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's
0: such a body of work about oh. <laughs> Julia Child.
1: Like there's- I think Catherine
0: approves. I'm getting a little heart it's sign It's so from her. good. And
1: I, I, one thing I want to say is when we started it, we looked at each other and I was like, do you think she ever could have imagined that this life that really she started this portion of her life at 50? No. Do you think she could have imagined that all these years later, there are still stories being told about her? We're making new original television about her life. And there's been movies and books and just so much about her because she's a fascinating character. And um, this show is great. It looks at how her PBS show came to be. And really, it's not just about her. It's about the producer who took on this show, about the assistant producer who is trying to make a name for herself in public television or in television in general. And it's stories about it's... um, Blanche Knopf is one of the main characters because that was a publisher of her Mm good book, tells some of her story. And it's just this really beautifully done eight episodes. And apparently there's going to be a second season. I think they could leave it here and it's just enough, but I also want more, of course. And um, I love David Hyde Pierce so much. I think he's just like his physicalness of his acting is brilliant. And um, Bibi Newworth is just also beautiful and wonderful. And her character in this is. Beyond, I just would love to spend all day with that character. So, I highly recommend it. You can binge it so quickly eight episodes, and I could talk about it for a full episode, podcast (laughs) episode. And then, my learn, and I will quit talking, is I've been doing some research into gray area drinking, and it's something I kept seeing pop up. And again, sort of blaming the pandemic, I think in the pandemic, I really dipped into gray area drinking. Um, It went from being a social activity periodically to being a daily activity for a while. I've backed off from that as we've come out of the pandemic, but I really connect with that idea of it's, it's not just, I like alcohol. Like I like the way a lot of it tastes. I enjoy having a drink, but it has gone beyond that. It has become a crutch. It has become a coping mechanism or an imaginary coping mechanism, because as I look deeper into this. I'm not coping with anything. I've mm. created a lot of bad habits and am numbing is what it is. We tell ourselves we're coping, but we're numbing. Um, so I'm looking into what that, what does that mean? What does that mean for the future of drinking? I would not consider myself an alcoholic. I know I had the genetics for it. I don't think I'm there, but then what does this mean for the future of social drinking for me? What should it look like? And, um, it's been really eye-opening. I don't know why it just happened in the last couple of weeks that I'm like, huh, this is not that I'm not where I should be with this. And I'm not accomplishing some things I'd like to accomplish because I think I've just been so numb and you can't, I, the thing that keeps coming back to me is like, you can't fight the good fight. I think I'm wearing my no country for old men's shirts um, and, <laughs> Very you know, nice. I it can't, it can't really be part of the solution when it, whether it's abortion rights or gun reform or whatever it is that is on my mind and my heart right now, if I'm numb. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So I have to be awake and alert for that, but it's a weird place to be. Yes. Again, we could probably do a whole show on it. I would like to, I think I'd like
0: to have Jess Leahy on talk about it. I know, you know what? That's a nice balance because I think a lot of people consider it as um, self-care almost when it's the opposite of that. But Mm -hmm. I think that would be a good continuing conversation to have.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. interesting so that's me oh well, that's you what about you katherine do you have any look
2: listen learns i do so my first one is a book that i read and i love a book that you can feel things on many different levels or they they make ad- address many notes in your life so this book is called the girl in the red boots and it's making peace with my mother and it's oh. written by Judith, I wrote it down, Rust Gay Ravener. She's a PhD. What I love about it is, first of all, I love reading about other therapists. Um, it's an, it's, a, it's a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love hearing how they do their clients, how it addresses their life, like just all those things. Yeah. And then also she has a difficult relationship with her mother, which I can't relate to, being from like a long line of very strong women. And I just thought she did it beautifully. It's a beautiful book. If you have any interest um, in like rethinking your relationship with your mother. If you might have a difficult relationship, I think it's very instructive. And the fact that she's a therapist, like she's working through her own thing while also helping others. Like it just, I loved it. Wow. Um, I really liked it.
0: Interesting. Uh, so I would, re- I would,
2: yeah, I would, I would recommend that. And then for listening, I listened to the meditative story podcast a lot. And that started during the pandemic. Somebody sent me one because it had to do with um, like a kidney donor. And I- Got just hooked. Like, there are these 25 minute stories, all by different people, told in a very soothing manner with breaks for breathing. Um, But it's not, I can't just sit and meditate and have somebody tell me what to do. Like, that just doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But this I can just listen to and kind of settle in and also kind of come to peace. And then you always leave with like some sort of lesson. And I just love them. They have famous people, they have academics, they have regular people, just talk about a moment of transition. So I love it. I wait for it every week when it comes out. I'm like super excited. Oh, that's ooh, um, adding that. I'm and you that know, Catherine,
0: you, for sure. you just like briefly yep. breezed by it. And I we're getting at the end of our hour here, but I just want to tell people we're going to put links in the show notes to more information about your story as an organ donor uh, donating a kidney to someone <laughs> from a Starbucks wasn't it a coffee shop board uh yeah like a flyer posted a flyer in need of a kidney as a last resort and i mean the life-saving gift i mean that could be a whole episode talk about making really your should be another episode. And, yeah. oh my god and your life count so we cannot do it justice with the couple of minutes we have left here but you've you've written beautifully about it and we'll also mm-hmm. share some links to places where people can get more information about getting yeah. matched for all kinds of different um anything from kidney to bone marrow. There's all kinds of things that people can do to help save a life, literally save a life. So um, please, please, please look in the show notes and we'll share that in some of the links on social media too.
2: That's awesome. Thanks for mentioning. And my last thing is learning. I found art again after like a hiatus. Once I had kids, there's no time for art. Um, But during the pandemic, I was like, I need to do something or I'm going to explode. And I went back to art. I am not good at art I just do it anyway Um, so I've been working a lot with paper I I do paper mache I've done collage I make my own papers I do printing it's been really great I've taken some online classes I've ignored my family to do art Um, it's been (laughs) it's been it's been been really good for me so I found a a long-lost passion that's one good thing that came out of the pandemic for me yeah oh i love
0: that well as as the parent of an artist who we're researching all these art schools i'm always because i'm not an artist uh, surprised when i see these majors in like papers like there are majors in papers and i was like what can you do but as i dove into it more i was like oh my god there are a million things you can do with papers and like uh yeah it's so cool
2: yeah it's been good good
0: all right and so let's see what have i been doing i have been I'm looking at uh the book holes, which is a kid's book, <laughs> my yeah. sophisticated reading. But I was you know, bad. I was trying to get my son off his phone for the summer and off of video games. And so we're doing some reading. Well, he's doing some reading. I think I told you I found that oh gosh, was it John Grisham? Mm-hmm. Oh shoot. I'll do no, it in the it's show not. notes. Is it? No, it's Oh, dang, y'all, I'm going to have to put it in the show notes. Um, But there is someone who usually does like law books for adults, has a whole series about this kid lawyer. And now my son's like, I want to be a lawyer. But yeah, so he's reading those, but he also was reading Holes, which I was Googling top books for teenage boys, you know, top books for teenagers to read, blah, blah, blah. All of them had holes at the top. And I knew it was this movie. I don't know too much about it. But I said, you know, it's so at the top of all these lists. They can't all be wrong. So I forced my son to read it, and he loved it. And now he is making me read it so that we can talk about it. And all I know so far that it involves dig these kids having to go to this, like, bad kids, quote unquote, bad yeah. kids who go to this camp or whatever, where literally all they do is they dig holes and it's in Texas. And having dug holes in Texas, I'm very traumatized by the thought of this. So I I will. Well, adopt. they're digging like in the desert part of Texas. Which uh, well, we'll talk about don't spoil traumatic. it. I'm not, I'm only on chapter seven.
1: I think Shia LaBeouf, like a young Shia is in the movie. Is that right? Wasn't Kevin
0: Bacon in it? I don't know. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't have vague,
1: know. Like, I know I've seen it.
0: But it's vague. I should not share information that I have no information. About, but that's what I, <laughs> that's what you're reading. That is what I'm reading. I'm reading seven chapters of it, and the last book I did just wrap up. I did not like, and I didn't think it would be very nice of me to say that. So we'll just focus on what I haven't started. Ooh, but um, you need to text us off of this, and tell so, yeah. Us so we don't oh, waste our time. <laughs> um, Let's see. Learning a lot about colleges. Went to UCLA, USC. I did enjoy, the main purpose of this trip wasn't necessarily to get my daughter buying into either of these schools, it was, I have brainwashed that poor girl since like, birth because I used to work on clients that lived in LA. And so all I associated LA with was stress. It was stress. Like literally, I've talked about it here. I'd get so stressed out that I would just have to step away from a client dinner, go barf in a tree and come back. Like it was a very negative association I had Mm -hmm. with LA. So this was an undoing of that for me and also for, for her because I just not like going out of my way to say anything, but I would just kind of grumble about it. If, if something was in L.A., I'd be like, eh. <laughs> and so we both kind of, we all fell in love with L.A., discovering the amazing beaches and all these cool, fun neighborhoods and the amazing schools. And just, it was an undoing of some negative talk that, like uh, that. the story that I built for myself uh, around it, and which is the total opposite from, my, now I want to go move there. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah and then because of all this traveling i am super super behind on my podcast but i just started the smart and they have an interview with jenny slate who is just pure lovely joy like she just just listening to her made me happy. And she's mm-hmm. she's so the opposite of anybody who watched um, Parks and Rec, she was Mona Lisa, yeah. the, the twin sister of John <laughs> Ralphio on Parks Money, and Rec. please. Oh, and yeah, on there, her voice, she can make her voice be really obnoxious, but when mm-hmm. she's just her natural self, it's just so full of joy. She's got the best giggle I loved it. And I did oh. not realize that she is the voice and co-creator of Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Yes. And there's a, And it's such a sweet little story. And there's a really fun story about how the creation of that voice came to be. Um, And so I highly recommend listening to that episode of SmartList because it it was Marcel's
1: voice is so sweet. So it's
0: it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very fun to hear. Like, I mean, it started like nine years ago she's produced it and made it it came from like a previous relationship so now she has this on she's married to someone else but she has this business partnership with this character that was built with her partner at that time nine or ten years ago when it evolved from it but very very sweet story she seems like a lovely person so yeah highly recommend that episode all right I think we've Is looked listen and learned it all. <laughs> I, I always love these because I always come away with a new book and I will text y'all the book not to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm
1: actually yeah. looking for a new, I have credits, so I'm looking for a new audio listen. I have my hard copy stack that I'm in, but I need yeah. a good audio listen, so I don't want to accidentally buy it.
0: No, I I don't think. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I'll send it to you. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to have a chance to chat with you again. And so, so looking forward to hearing listeners' feedback on the book once they have a chance to read it when it's out later this month. So that's definitely, and you can pre-order now, correct?
2: Yeah, Yeah. that would be great. (laughs) Go pre-order
0: now. And in fact, I got to remember to go do my review. I need to do Wendy Aaron's book review too. I do too. That's, you know what? That's one of the best things you can do if you love a book. We've said it here before. Your review does not need to be like the most masterful recap and synopsis of a book. Just give it some stars. Say what you learned from it or just say you liked it. It can really do a lot for those algorithms that feed the master of Amazon and beyond. So (laughs) speaking of knowing everything, favorite thank author you. today and go review a book. All Absolutely. Right. Well thank you so much.
1: Yes. Thank, thank you. you. We'll have look. to have you back to talk about saving a life.
2: Oh yes. <laughs> that, that sounds great. I'd love to talk to you guys anytime. Um, Always right. pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll thank talk you. to you. Have too. a good afternoon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you know someone else who could benefit from today's episode, be sure to share it with them. Also, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in the show notes over at our website, momandpodcast.com, with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, you can find us at the socials, including our private Mom and Community Facebook group. You can find links to the group, all of our socials, and our questions and comments section over at our website, momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.